This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Salah. Escape Cancela. That's brilliant from Mo Salah. And still, Salah. Oh, sensational. Absolutely sensational. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks. Um, World Cup? What World Cup? I have no idea what you're talking about. You can forget your Frances and your Argentinas and even your Moroccos because we've got AFC, Bournemouth, Southampton and other clubs that you had forgotten are actually in the Premier League. But three people who have not forgotten are our pundits today. Well, I'm hoping they haven't forgotten. (laughs) Uh, We've got Gogolin. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. And Des Corkhill, back from his travels. Indeed. AFC Bournemouth and Boscombe Athletic, to be precise, uh, Cam, in the olden days anyway. Well, hopefully that's not the kind of knowledge that we're going to be spreading around. <laughs> and uh, and finally, the, the legendary Bob Holmes. Uh, yes, I'm here again on a sad occasion. I think uh, you're going to talk about him, obviously, but uh, we've just had the death of Pelé, the greatest player of all time, in my opinion, but no doubt... There'll be other opinions and we'll talk about it. Well, absolutely. Uh, we just received the sad news that Pele, the great Brazilian footballer, died at the age of 82. He's been unwell for quite some time. And I would imagine that Brazil is in full mourning. Let's talk about him. So, Bob, you, uniquely amongst us, actually saw Pele play. And would you call him the greatest that you saw? Oh, yeah, without uh, without any question. I mean, I've seen uh, I've seen the others uh, briefly, but from rather unfortunate vantage points, Maradona was way past it, playing against Australia in Sydney, and Messi was brought on as a sub as a teenager playing for Barcelona. Not yet, you know, he, there were big expectations, but he hadn't he hadn't made it by any means. Whereas I saw Pele in his pomp, absolute pomp, 1970 World Cup. Uh, and I saw him again when he was on tour with uh, Santos. Uh, it's worth mentioning this. So they were paying Pele so much and they were so hard up. They had to go on tour in the summer. Santos were the greatest Brazilian club side that Pele played for. And they were playing two or three games a week, really knackering the players out. And then everybody insisted on Pele always playing to get their money's worth. And he played in the UK. You couldn't get a ticket. I hitchhiked down to Plymouth, which is about 300 miles away from where I lived. And I managed to get in. The capacity of the dingy old ground was 30,000. The attendance was 40,000. And Plymouth won. (laughs) But, I mean... That just gives you an idea of the global impact that this guy made. As a player in his pomp, he was unsurpassable. And I saw him win the World Cup in 1970, uh, score the famous goal against Italy with a header. And then uh, he um, made the pass for the final goal by even more famous by Carlos Alberto. And I suggest anybody who's got two, three minutes of their lives just to YouTube the Carlos Alberto goal in 1970 World Cup final. And it starts with Italy losing possession, Brazil taking the possession. And what you see after that is football at its absolute best. And it 
it became a cult, you know, that goal. I mean, it was a quiz question. How You had to name all the players that had touched the ball and this sort of thing. For pubs, even, even today, people talk about the Carlos Alberto goal. It, you know, he, he was just magical. And in Mexico, Mexico got knocked out the World Cup. And the whole of Mexico got behind Brazil and Pele. I mean, even England fans, once England been knocked out, they wanted Pele to win that third uh, World Cup. So he's the only guy that's won three World Cups. He got kicked out of one in 1966, kicked brutally, chopped by Bulgarian and Portuguese defenders, and then he retired before the 74 World Cup, which he could have won, actually. He would have been good enough because he was playing in MLS then, and he was actually winning over Americans to football. He was good. Des, you're, you're dare I say, slightly younger than Bob. You're more of the Maradona generation, perhaps. But did you still appreciate Pele? Absolutely. And I still believe Pele is the best um, because he did before whatever Cruyff did. He did before whatever Maradona did. He did before whatever Messi did. There was a wonderful video put together recently, I think in tribute for him, um, showing all of these skills. And he was a name before television was even part of our lives. Uh, in, in England, South America was a, a, a vast, distant place. We didn't see the television pictures, but we all knew Pele. And that story from Bob uh, hitchhiking down to Home Park to see that. I, I remember my, my old man talking about going to um, see him at Sheffield Wednesday. And this is a friendly match in the middle of the week, three o'clock in the afternoon, kickoff, 50,000 people turning up at Sheffield because Pele is playing. If ever there was a time to celebrate somebody's life and not mourn it, but to celebrate what he brought to football, what he brought to, to the racism argument as well, in that um, Brazil, when they won the first World Cup in 58, there was a, a big racism issue over there um, because they'd lost the 1950 World Cup that they were meant to have. And he just brought football to the masses, the, the beautiful game. He coined the phrase, just what a, what a what a playing life and quite an interesting life afterwards as well, going into politics, going into uh, promoting FIFA, going into promoting MasterCard, but living on a, a name that he, he, he works so hard. What a player. And yeah, we're, we're very sad that, it, that he's gone, but my word, have we got things to remember him by, glorious, glorious things. And Gogolin, you're, dare I say, younger still. <laughs> Also that kind of Maradona generation, perhaps. But Pele, did you, were you still aware of Pele? Of course, every football fan knew the word Pele. The moment you hear the word Pele, it's synonymous with football. Even my kids, my son, is, you know, knows football. I was always team Maradona. You know, I was always a big fan of Maradona. I grew up watching Maradona from 82 and all that. But like what Des said, you know, Pele was there before the TVs were there, you know, before the media, before the spotlight, everything. He, was, he played the game like he was meant to be. And hence why he coined it, the beautiful game. So, you know, there'll never be another Pele. He, he's a supreme athlete. I was reading about it. He, he did 100 meters in 11 seconds. He could just score with both feet to a header. And one of his managers said, the best right back is Pele. The best left back is Pele. The best midfielder is Pele. <laughs> you know, and, and like, you know, that 1970 World Cup, you talk about that, that was that team, right? That Brazil team that came on. And I think that was the first World Cup that was... In televised, color. yeah, yeah. In color. first World Cup in color yeah. as well. Yeah. So oh, that yeah. that 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 picture, you know, in that glorious Mexico sunshine of those canary yellow shirts and the blue this thing, and that Brazilian team. And I always thought the greatest Brazilian team not to be in the World Cup was the '82 squad, but that '970 squad was something else, you know. I mean, I never was too I was too young for then, but I mean, you watch those old pictures and all that. That those teams was a different level of football, and that really cemented the Brazilian uh, folklore football team. 
from then on, the 70s onwards. And that's when in the World Cup in Brazil was synonymous with each other. Uh, well, we're, we're fortunate because you can still watch Pele in, in really all, all his glory on YouTube clips. And what struck me watching them is just what a modern player he was. He just seemed to bring modernity, not just because he was playing in color. <laughs> I think uh, there was a quote that uh, I think the New York Cosmos manager told uh, Pele to bring him to America was that you can go to Italy and win a championship. You can go to Spain and win a championship, but you can come to the U.S. and win a country. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Apparently, when uh, when George Best died about 10 years ago, I think now, Pele sent a wreath with a note saying, from the second best player in the world. <laughs> <laughs> that, sh that shows the magnitude, you know. I mean, even when Maradona passed away, he, he said that, you know, I will look forward to one day kicking a ball with Diego up there. And he is now, I hope. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's Pele. He passed away, sadly. But fortunately, he will never be forgotten. And in a moment, we're going to come back and we're going to be jumping straight back into football as it's happening right now here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. And we're back on Just for Kicks. And now we dive back into the world of Premier League football that some of us, me, have completely forgotten about. But that World Cup thing that just happened is over with now. And so we're going to jump straight in, Des, with... Arsenal 3, West Ham 1, and Arsenal at the top of the league, seven points ahead, and they went behind, but they never looked like they were going to lose this match. This is a very fine Arsenal team. Can we finally say they are title contenders and they're going to beat Man City to the title? I think we can say they're title contenders. Um, no Jesus at Christmas, no problem for Arsenal. Um, it's a funny line, got... by the way. That's a very funny line, by the way, Des. I, I, I wanted to... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> they, got, they played so well. However, I've got to... There's certain moments in a season that really help you. And uh, people are looking at Arsenal as they came back after, after the World Cup break. And they were 1-0 down. Uh, they got themselves an equaliser. And very quickly, Martinelli put one through the near post of Fabianski. So Fabianski has made a horrible mistake for the second Arsenal goal against West Ham. If that goes in, everything's hunky-dory, everything's bright and breezy, everything's wonderful. If it doesn't go in, if Fabianski doesn't make his mistake, I think you begin to ask questions because Arsenal don't go on and win so comfortably. Uh, yes, they played well, but that second goal is so, so crucial. Now, when you're a team fighting for the top, you get those breaks. So I think Arsenal, uh, with playing superbly well, coming back from a goal down against West Ham is, is no mean feat. Going on to win it 3-1 is excellent. But there are certain key moments which maybe point towards that, hmm, this could well be our season. And that, to me, was one of those moments. Oh, so you're, you're saying Arsenal will win the league? No, I'm saying Arsenal are contenders. You've got to be in the game with three or four games to go. Um, and, and, and that's all, that's the best that you can do. But they're, they're certainly absolutely contenders and playing lovely football. But the, the loss of Jesus, I thought, had hurt them. And um, uh, Enketia has come in and scored a brilliant third goal. Yeah. Uh, I like certainties on this show. I like, I like people to say <laughs> for sure. And... Uh, with that in mind, I'm going to turn to Gogolin because he's the man who predicted that uh, Argentina would win the World Cup. He hey, so did I. So did I. Oh, yeah, that's true. But Des did uh, back me up on that one. Did he? Yeah. Oh, okay, fair enough. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but Des is... Lord glory hunter, Des, there is. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, meanwhile then, Gogolin leads one Man City three. 
Man City pretty uh, certain there. I thought I think that Grealish and uh, Haaland turning into pretty good uh, partnership. Um, th- they're not giving up the chase. Well, I don't think they will with Pep. You know, the way the Pep puts the team on, and you have a well-rested Haaland raring to go. Can you imagine Erling Haaland sitting on the at home watching the World Cup and thinking, you know, that, so he's got a point to prove out there, and you know. I, I thought I captained him on the fantasy league, and then I find out that the next day that I forgot to captain him. So yeah, <laughs> but back to the game. Yes, uh, I mean, what a story though! Calvin Phillips sitting on the bench and getting racked by the Leeds mob is uh, hilarious to see, right? <laughs> There's only one Calvin Phillips. But back to the city game, it was yeah. uh, there were no surprises. I said they, they, they started out a bit slow, yes. But there were no no many surprises, even from all the fixtures. I mean, we were going to go yeah. through. There wasn't many fixtures that I thought was so much of a surprise, you know. No, absolutely not. And speaking of which, we're going to be talking about Brentford uh, uh, to Tottenham two in a moment. But first, Bob, um, Bob, it was uh, Man Manchester United three, your beloved Nottingham Forest nil. You sounded very downcast when we mentioned this earlier. I, I, I and I don't know why. I guess at the beginning of the season you had this chalked up as three points to Forest. Um, but but I'm gonna so therefore to say to save your tears I'm gonna ask you to talk about Manchester United and uh, <laughs> they look pretty good uh, the the Rashford goal um, from a set piece from a corner I didn't know you could score that kind of goal in the modern game anymore but somehow Forest allowed it to happen uh, yeah Forest defence allows a lot of things to happen Rashford yeah what a what a story um, he's come back arguably better than he was before I think. Scoring sort of different sorts of goals, he looks like a new man. I mean, he had a pretty troubled time. I think uh, during COVID and all that, he, I don't think he got COVID, but he was involved in all that, that politics and school dinner, malarkey and everything. And uh, I think he got a bit distracted. Anyway, he was, he was probably due a, a bit of a drop in form, but he's certainly come back with a bang. And that's a real bonus for United. They did look good. The defence is a bit makeshift. I mean, Luke Shaw appearing at left centre-back and then Maguire coming on as well. I mean, that doesn't uh, suggest a lot of solidity, does it, based on Maguire's club form, although he did better for England. Martinez was still back in Buenos Aires celebrating, but they look pretty good generally. Bruno Fernandes is looking a lot better without Ronaldo especially Bruno Fernandes, because he kind of runs the show now. That's the key, isn't it? Yeah. No Ronaldo. No Ronaldo, Uh, absolutely. I mean, it took a while. Uh, I think Ten Hag probably would have wished to have done it a bit earlier in the season. But, I mean, as a new manager coming in, he had to be a bit careful uh, dealing with a legend, I mean, a genuine club legend. You're a new manager coming from from another country, you're not going to start throwing your weight around in the first two or three games and get rid of a club legend. But he's done it gradually, and he's managed to do it with the fans and the club hierarchy and the players on his side. And that's what need, he needed time to get all that together, I think. So he, he did it at the right time. He had to wait a bit. And then Ronaldo realized the game was up. He just had to get out of there. Yeah, United looking good. But there are seven teams now scrambling for these top four places. And it's going to be a really fascinating race. I mean, we can't even say for certain who's going to win it. Uh, I think City. But uh, Arsenal, I agree uh, that Arsenal are definitely contenders. 
and you've got the usual six plus Newcastle. So uh, I think United are capable of getting into the top four, but I, I don't actually think they will, but I think they're certainly going to be there or thereabouts. It's looking good from now on. They may pick up a, a cup along the way. If they don't get into the top four, if a trophy would probably just about be enough consolation to keep Ten Hag going, I think he's done a very good job. So I managed to talk for five minutes without mentioning Forrest. Well which done. Was well my done. main goal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you did that very well, wiping tears from your eyes. <laughs> and uh, Des, I want to spend a little bit of time on this one. It was one of the most, I don't know, it was Brentford 2, Spurs 2. Gogolin mentioned earlier no surprises, and there was no surprise here. Tottenham Hotspur didn't start playing till the second half. Uh, they were playing, I don't know. It, does Conte think that Spurs are, are the underdogs in every single match? You're the guy who, who advocates for, for going out there and playing football. Why don't they do that? Don't know. It's very strange. Um, I, I'm a, I look at their squad and I think they've got excellent attacking players backed up by uh, solid defensive players. But then you have like um, the bizarre mistake that Eric Dyer made before the second goal. And the dreadful marking as well for the second goal as well. And that you, you can't legislate for things like that at the very, very top level. The top players aren't meant to make those kind of mistakes. Um, so even if they're on the back foot, uh, Tottenham, they're, they're making individual mistakes that are making it um, even more difficult. And then they just seem to metamorphosize and become like the Incredible Hulk and go all green and, and bash the opponents out the way. Harry Kane hit the crossbar when it was 2-2. It could well have been another 2-0 down, 3-2 up. That's the way to win the cup kind of uh, scenario. I don't don't understand Tottenham. I, I would have thought Conte would have brought real solidity to the team. Um, he was missing Bentacor, who I think is hugely important to them. Uh, the Uruguayan midfielder, he's the calming influence in the heart. He lets uh, Hoiberg go um, up the dashing up front. So they're missing Bentacor. So when you miss your key players, it hurts. But I'm sure Conte will get it right. Um, he's, he's got to. Um, but the big question is whether or not he's going to be backed um, if, if they don't make the Champions League. So if they don't make the top four, it then becomes uh, a Daniel Levy versus Conte power play once again. Yeah. So, Goglin, I'm going to uh, allow you the same privilege that I gave to Bob Holmes just now. Aston Villa won, your beloved Aston Villa won, Liverpool three. And I'm going to let you talk about Liverpool. What is that to say? Sorry, I'm not allowed to speak of Villa. Okay. I, thought, I, I thought they were, I thought, you know, they put out a good side there against a good Liverpool side. We gave, we gave it to them. Right? I mean, the story of the night could be Darwin Nunes, but, you know, he, he, he's still finding his feet in English football. I don't know why the media are giving him, he's a supremely athletic footballer. With that kind of speed, he will come good. You have that kind of talent up front. I really no idea why the media are picking on him. Yes, it it looks when you look back on hindsight, but if you're a football player, you know the amount of effort that it goes into getting into those places and those chances that he makes. And when it comes good, it looks really good. Yes, it you know he misses sometimes sitters, but you know look at Kai Havertz and all that. This is an athletic footballer. So, I mean, look at him. he's one of the fastest footballers in the Premier League, if I'm not mistaken. Though. Yeah. So. This Liverpool side, I've got a lot of this thing, and now with the Cody Gabko uh, signing, you know, just adding on to the multi-dimensional firepower that they have for a push in the Champions League, if I'm not mistaken, because this team is still purring nicely. I know we were talking about them uh, at the beginning when they were stuttering and all that, but this team, they're coming together. I was watching it against Villa. They, yes, they started hesitantly and all that, but you could see they have a they, they, there is a coming together for this team. It's quality in this team. Everybody plays for each other. The, the club leads by example, so players like Nunes will come good. 
Cody Gapko is a, a added asset, of course, to any team. I think United were chasing him, and for them to steal United Gapko under United's eyes is already a big boost to the squad and to the fans. So it, it, I, I would say the uh, top two pushes for Liverpool is not beyond uh, the season. Ooh. Okay, it, 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 that's what I, I want to hear. Because so... I, you know, I, I don't think Arsenal. I've been waiting for Arsenal to slip up, and yes, you know, everybody probably is. But if you add Arsenal to the dimension, and now you have a, a Liverpool coming in slowly, and then you might have a simmering Spurs or maybe a outside of the box kind of Newcastle. Yeah, so you know, Newcastle are going great. I'm sure we'll get to that. But it's 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 a lot to play for, and Liverpool are, just, are, are perfectly placed at this place in time. So it's a big gap, isn't it? It is a big gap, but you know, the other teams, are, are, I, I'm waiting for them to drop those points. The points that Liverpool dropped early in the season will be will, will dropped by the other teams. Yeah, and uh, Darwin Nunes had one of those. Uh, I like I like high. I would like to do a highlight reel of goals that didn't become goals. And Darwin Nunes had a beautiful volley shot that. Uh, plucked out from the air that didn't amount to anything. But wow, to take that on. And uh, Bob, the team that no one's talking about, but should be talking about, Newcastle. Uh, 3-0 against a mm, kind of woeful, I don't know, Leicester, who've carried on from where they were before, before the World Cup. They were doing quite well before. And uh, Newcastle, they're quite exciting. Yeah, they are. Um Leicester were on a bit of a roll. Uh, the break came at the wrong time for them, and they've managed to accumulate some more injuries uh, since then, and Madison being being one of them. They're, I think they're main man now, safe to say that. Um, so this was probably easier than anticipated when uh, they first looked at the fixture list. But all credit to Newcastle, all credit to Eddie Howe. I mean, he has not only bought well, bought astutely and not really paid silly money for anybody. I think the jury is probably still out on uh, Isaac, the Swedish striker who got injured after looking pretty promising, uh, but only played a handful of games. They paid a lot for him. But otherwise, I mean, they paid a similar amount for Guimaraes, the uh, Brazilian midfielder, hardly played in the World Cup, but is already a hero on Tyneside, certainly worth the money. But Eddie Howe has also improved players, most notably Almiron, mm. who I didn't actually rate that much. I mean, 100% effort, 200% effort he put in. I was looking at his stats. He's not a prolific goal scorer. He's only scored six in 50 games for Paraguay. And, that, and that's for an attacking midfielder. He's only scored 23 in 141 games for Newcastle, nine of which have been this season. In in what, 14 games? I mean, this is he's one of the leading scorers. Now, this is some transformation, and they are they are brilliant goals. He doesn't just score tappings. This guy dribbles past three or four men and puts them in. So I just wonder what's what's be, you know, what's Eddie Howe done to this guy? I've, I've rarely seen a player who was looked like relatively ordinary improve to this extent from one season to another. So I think you've got to give Eddie Howe a bit of credit for this and other players too. And he's been without uh, Alan St. Maximum, who was probably regarded as the star of Newcastle, a bit of a prima donna, not always 100%. Um, but he's he's done this largely without a major contribution from St. Maximin. So if Gareth Southgate was going to leave the England job, I, I'd be 
I'd be uh, saying that Eddie Howe would be the the right successor, although he may not want to leave Newcastle at this point. Yeah, so yeah. all credit, all credit to Newcastle, all credit to Eddie Howe. Really, yeah. it's it's working. Can I just I make a very quick comment, yeah. please, Cam, about Newcastle? They've spent more than any other club. They've spent 200, 220 million pounds in the last twelve months. So it's money. Money does. The Howe spent it wisely, but they've still spent a heck of a lot of money. Oh dear, we better worry about the finances of Saudi Arabia. <laughs> they gonna have to start for need to looking. sell more oil. <laughs> Poor things. Okay, I was going to drop some knowledge about Almiron, but uh, and the MLS, but I can't now because we've run out of time. So uh, we move on, and in a moment we will continue our previews and reviews of the Premier League and later the AFF here on Just for Kicks BFM eighty nine point nine. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks BFM eighty nine point nine. And we're back on Just for Kicks with. Bob, Holmes, Des, Corkhill, and Goglin. And now, Des, I want to jump to you. Uh, Chelsea 2, Bournemouth nil. So Chelsea beat the mighty Bournemouth, who checks the... Uh, they are not the bottom of the league. They're in 14th. I had no idea. Didn't even know they were still in the league. And um, the... <laughs> I don't know. They they beat them. Uh, they looked okay. But you know, when Mason Mount scored his goal, the thought that crossed my mind instantly, and I don't know why, was when is Mason Mount going to go to a big club? Uh, <laughs> uh, little bit I, harsh. I don't know, but did Chelsea have lost that lustre that they've had for so many years, don't you think? Uh, they won the Champions League two years ago, for heaven's sake. That, that two years is a long time. <laughs> uh, they, they, they went through a spell where they dropped points. Uh, they'll come very good. Uh, Bournemouth, incidentally, they've just been bought over by an American uh, multi-multi-millionaire as well. So there's more money, uh, more American money coming into the Premier League. Um, I thought Chelsea... I played well. Um, the, the new coach is beginning to stamp his authority. Do they need a big number nine? Well, they had one in in uh, Lukaku that, that didn't work very well. Uh, they're, they're still trying to find their way. You're just not given any time in in this league, particularly when it's seven teams chasing four Champions League places plus potential outsiders. I think Chelsea would be fine. They've got good players all over the pitch, and uh, this was um, a comprehensive victory done and dusted by the 25th minute. So, um, what, what what do you mean by be fine? They're in eighth. Which is, I guess, if really what you want is either to be in the top four or eighth, because then you can. So, so uh, Manchester City are a, 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 a quality apart. The other six are competing for three places in in the overall scheme of things, and and so long as you're genuinely with the shout going into the final three games, that's what I mean by being fine. It's then what happens in those final three or four games, and if you miss out, then then your whole season goes to pot. But they will be competitive right the way to the latter stage of the season for these top four places. That That's what I say about Chelsea. And that's, other than running away with the league, that, that's all you can really ask, being in a, a position where you're in a position to strike. So no one's going to join me on the Crisis Club Chelsea narrative. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hey, uh, Goglin, Crystal Palace nil, Fulham three. And I bet you wish that Aston Villa played like Fulham. Uh, newly promoted Fulham, and sure, Crystal Palace decided to uh, implode, but they're very, I mean, they're good. And I, and I, they're good by playing, you know, as Des would wish, by, by going forward and attempting to win games. I think you hit the nail on the head on you know, the implosion of Palace. And what were they thinking playing that kind of football and you know, getting players sent on that early and then not even bothering with a football game and coming off? I think they got two players sent off, right? If I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. 
Yeah, you're right of the implosion and Fulham yeah, to complete the chance, their chance as well. And I thought, uh, you know, that, that uh, the, for the first goal, Mitrovic sending the cross, it was beautiful. But otherwise, it's par for course for Fulham. You know, they are they're steadily climbing up the table. They're playing some good football. And yes, you're right. Uh, for uh, they're not they're not doing what they used to do when they got promoted the last time. You're right. I would I would prefer Villa to be playing uh, like Fulham. But you know, Unai has come in and steadied the ship to a certain point, and I will I will give them time. There's no crisis club. The whole crisis club narrative is. Then, but us, we we think every club is in a crisis because they lose three games in a row. And yes, the Premier League is such that in three games in a row, you're in a relegation. You win three games on the trot, you're back in contention. You know, it's 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 that is such that. But managers live and die by the sword of this crisis narrative, and and we are much to blame as it, as everyone else. Did we end up talking about Aston Villa again? <laughs> no, uh, Chelsea, the crisis <laughs> club narrative. <laughs> Everton, Everton. All right. Well, uh, before we get to to Everton. Uh, yeah, imagine who Everton are playing next. Yeah, I'm just thinking that if if you're playing um, Mitrovic, then the chances are at the end of the match either he's going to get sent off or you'll get two of the opponent's players sent off. So, uh, so and he's yeah. going to score. And he's going to score. Yeah, but so, he, he looks like a proper centre forward though. Like you know, this, this proper out and out number nine there. You know, yeah, oh, yeah. He, he, yeah. Is, he is, he is, he yeah. is good, isn't he? Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of uh, uh, centre forward scoring goals, a. Uh, Bob, Southampton one, Brighton three. Uh, the the old narrative with Brighton was they can't score goals, and now they can score goals. And what happened? How how come they can now score goals? Uh, well, they play so much good football that uh, you, you know the law of averages. I think they are going to pop one or two in. Uh, they went through a bit of a run when the new manager took over from Graham Potter, Roberto De Zerbi. Right? He insisted on playing a similar sort of football, very attacking. And it seems to have paid off in the long run because they've turned the corner. They've lost about five in a row. And now they've, I think they've won about three in a row. Uh, it seems quite popular. And uh, they've managed to do this with, with selling their best players. And they've also got a World Cup winner who's not even in the side at the moment. He's still celebrating in uh, Buenos Aires. But uh, Alex McAllister... Of Scottish descent, he he's been well was a revelation in the World Cup. I don't think Brighton realised he was that good. Frankly, if they sack this manager, they should get Scaloni from Argentina to come and manage Brighton because he knows how to get the best out of McAllister. He was fantastic. He was in many people's team of the tournament. You know, the composite team of the of the entire World Cup. Brighton, a very astute uh, businessman there. They signed McAllister up on a long-term contract just before the World Cup. So if they sell him, they're going to get, you know, the maximum money for him. So there's no none of this running down your contract and selling him for a song or anything next season. You know, they're going to get top dollar for him, and he's been in the shop window. So it's a very well-managed club, and they, they're doing all this with having sold two of their best players, Cucurella, who they got a ridiculous amount for, He's not been anywhere near as good at Chelsea as he as he was at Brighton. The uh, who's the other guy uh, they sold? Uh, come on, Des. Uh, Bissouma to Tottenham. Uh, Bissouma. Yeah, Bissouma. 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 Yeah. Now Mope is not a big loss. Poor old Everton. Um, but you know, arguably, he was their third best player. Mope. He was he was their leading scorer. I think last season. 
So I think they're, they're very mid-table. They, they might get into Europe. That would be something really special for Brighton. I think, you know, we, we sometimes disparage the Europa League and the, certainly the Europa Conference. I but do. for a club um, like you do, yes. But for a club like Brighton, who didn't even have a ground 20-odd years ago, had to share with Gillingham, imagine that, fans had to travel about 50 miles to go and watch a home game, to end up in Europe... That is some achievement and will be celebrated. There won't be a single Brighton fan who doesn't want them to get into Europe. So, you know, that's the justification for the Europa League. And I bet they could handle it as well. A lot of clubs can... Can implode from yeah, they probably yeah they go through. Yeah. I mean, there's some pretty pretty weak teams in, in the early rounds. So they they they'll have a run, I'm sure. Yeah. Now, Des Corkill, I do have a crisis club for you. I know that when you were at the World Cup watching, you know, all these Argentinas and everything, you were thinking, I really want to watch Everton Wolverhampton Wanderers. That's <laughs> that's real football. So uh, it was uh, what was it? Everton one, Wolves two. Everton now one point above the drop. This is serious uh, it, it is. Now, it's changed very, very quickly. It changed. Um, Everton lost back-to-back games against Bournemouth in the League Cup in the League, 4-1 and 3-0, and uh, they promised to put it right. Um, they haven't. And the manner of the defeat against Wolves, the way it came, um, the crowd were whistling because Everton were playing the ball along the back at one all. They, uh, uh, um, Tarkovsky launched the ball long. Patterson had made a run forward. Suddenly a breakout came. We're into the fifth minute of injury time. And Everton were caught on the breakaway trying to, to trying to attack. They had a point. It wouldn't have been a great point, but it would have been a point. Instead, they go away with the defeat. And suddenly it's 60 feet in eight. The crowd is now turned against them. Even the Merseysiders have turned against um uh, Frank Lampard and well, not so much Lampard, more more the board, Mashiri, the money man behind Everton, and it's looking really bad because I don't know where Everton are going to score goals. I thought they'd be okay this year because defensively they're okay, but I just can't see where the goals are coming from. Anthony Gordon's a fabulous winger, but he's not a striker. Mope isn't going to score you ten goals a season. Um, McNeil barely scored when he was at Burnley. Um, the Mary Gray again can create chances. I just don't see where they're going to score goals. And is it twelve goals that they've scored in all games, all competitions this or in in the league this season? That is a recipe for disaster. And unless Calvert Lewin comes back, or unless they can um, find a way to to crack open the safe at the other end, this could be really bad. And Everton will have the best ground in the Championship next year. Uh, this is what you get for selling Richarlison. Is that what the fans are upset with the board for selling Richarlison? Or did Richarlison want to go? Because I'm really curious to why would you sell Richarlison at that stage unless you really... And not replace him. That's the key. Yeah. It's not yeah. replace because him. You, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> they they put, put, put a lot on Calvert-Lewin. It all comes down to the, the money has been... It's it's not about Frank Lampard because they've had... They've had, heck, uh, they, um, Angel, uh, Ancelotti was coach. They've had uh, Koeman as coach. They've even had Big Sam as coach. Um, so it's not about the coach. They, the, the man doing such great things at Fulham. He was coach at Everton. Um, all under Mashiri. So it's not about the coaching. There's something clearly wrong at the very top level, be it um, be it spending, be it infrastructure. And that's that's coming down to, to the playing side of things. And these are very worried Evertonians now. My, my brother's gone very, very, very quiet. Well, can I can I ask Des? Uh let's say let's just imagine that that Everton did go down. Could they, and they're going to have a, a new stadium ready for next season, is it? Could they cope financially? What would that mean? Well, you lose so much money. The parachute payments might help them. 
But don't forget, we've seen this. We've seen the likes of Sunderland, too big to go down, who are only now beginning to get up into the top reaches of, of the championship. I would really, really worry for Everton if they went down because clearly the finances are not there. Otherwise, they would be getting out the checkbook. They would be making a, a couple of signings. But the finances just don't seem to be there. And um, in this money, money, money world of the English Premier League, that's what will get you over the line. I knew I'd find a crisis club for you, Des. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> and it's changed. It's changed in the last six weeks. Yeah, what, what happened in the last six weeks? I have no idea. The, uh, okay, we're going we're gonna to move on. But in a moment, when we come back, we're going to do some previews of uh, Premier League uh, here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. And we're back. It's part four. It's Just for Kicks. And I've got Bob, Goglin and Des. And before we go to the AFF, let's just do a couple of um, previews of the matches that are coming up. And Bob, I'm going to choose for you. No, or maybe you want to choose for me. What matches are you looking forward to? Uh, Perhaps it could be... Nottingham Forest, Chelsea. Do you think Chelsea are going to drop points? I do. (laughs) Well, uh, I am looking forward to that because Forest are a different club at home. They uh, they've got a a pretty uh, pretty good crowd there now. Um, Really get behind them. It's quite an intimidating atmosphere. They've beaten some of the top teams. Notably, uh, Liverpool. That bit was in fortunate. 1970. That was in 1973. No, a few wasn't? weeks ago. Right, sorry. I think you can, you know, we can remember that. Um, but they need, they need this. They, they really do need it because they're awful away, as you saw against Manchester United. Now, Chelsea, um, the way we wish that Forrest could have been playing them just before the break, uh, I think, uh, because Chelsea were going through a bit of a bad patch and Forrest were on the up. But the performance against Manchester United was really quite shattering. And it's like back to square one. We really are rubbish. Um, And they're going to need uh, some new players, believe it or not, having signed 23. Unfortunately, the one star player that they have signed is not yet available. Uh, He can't play against Chelsea, but he'll be ready for Southampton. And this guy's interesting. He was Brazilian Player of the Year last season brazilian he didn't get selected for the squad narrowly missed out 28 years old his name is scarpa and he he is quite something he's played in friendlies and he was sensational but he couldn't play in the league cup course he could, you know because it's not yet not, uh, 2023 so he's got to bide his time unfortunately he can't play against chelsea but he's the big hope attacking midfielder we need somebody like that. Ooh. So there is there is a glimmer. But uh, Chelsea looked better against Bournemouth the other night. And even though they, they lost Reese James, it is a bit of a serious problem, that actually, because the way Chelsea are set up, they rely on their attacking fullbacks. Chilwell is only just coming back on the left-hand side. And now Reese James is out again, possibly for another month on the right-hand side, that's going to weaken them. N'Golo Kante is not yet back. That's a long-term injury. So they are weakened, but they were looking better. So this will be a real test, I think, for both clubs. If Forrest can benefit from that crowd, that really is quite a crowd now behind them. The crowd lifts Forrest, then they might get something, and then I'll feel a lot better about things as if we're going to stay up. But if Chelsea play to their their 
true selves, then I think it'll be a Chelsea win. That was a magnificent display of uh, eternal optimism there from Bob Holmes. That's, uh, and we're going to go for the absolute opposite now because I know I know that Goglin, when we talk about Tottenham versus Villa, he's a realist. Uh, but I think that uh, if Villa are going to pick up points, this could be an opportunity. I'm not with the strike force we have at the moment. I'm really not sold on you know Watkins and you know the whole strike force we have at the moment. I think in the January window we are we will be looking to strengthen. Emery has been uh, afforded some funds in the January window. But uh, back to your question, even if we leave two 0 so Spurs are a second uh, second half side, right? So <laughs> they will only start start playing in the second half. So yes, I'm not really looking forward to this fixture Spurs fixture. They 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 are a good squad. They are Hurricanes back firing and all that. They they looked out of sorts in that first game in the first half. Once they started scoring, they were all it was all Spurs after that. It was just it was a matter of time before they got the three points. I was very surprised they didn't get the three points at the end. So yes, I would um, not really looking forward as a Miller fan for this game. If we get a if we get a point out of this, I'll be really really happy. Yeah, two great examples of the glass half full and the glass half empty. Um, <laughs> <laughs> well done, fellas. And and so now, uh, Des Corkill, let's turn to the big one, the AFF, the Asian Football Federation Cup is happening right now. Uh, what's been happening and what should we look out for? Well, at the moment, there's a diplomatic incident going on between Malaysia and Vietnam after a match uh, earlier in the week. Vietnam beat Malaysia by three goals to nil. Um, but the, the incident happened early in the second half. Malaysia were a goal down. Vietnam were a man down. And uh, Azam Azmi got red carded and conceded a penalty for an incident in which it seems he was absolutely blameless off the pitch. That the referee actually correctly, if he interprets that Azam had um, fouled uh, Don Van Hau off the pitch, then he, he should have given a penalty. So, but there's a diplomatic incident gone in. The FAM have sent in a letter of protest against the referee. Um, and this, uh, Don Van Howe has, has made himself a, a persona non grata. At the moment, at this very moment, he's playing in Singapore. Um, and to give the wider context of this, uh, it's two groups of five in the, in the ASEAN Championship, um, sponsored by Mitsubishi Electric, uh, this, this time for the first time. And Malaysia won their opening two matches quite comfortably before that 3-0 defeat um, against Vietnam. Singapore, they won their two matches, plus whatever they do against Vietnam tonight. But Malaysia plays Singapore at Bukit Jalil on the 3rd of January. And that is going to be a near full house and a causeway derby to decide who goes into the semi-finals. Malaysia played pretty well. There's no Johor players playing for Malaysia. They've been given time off by the club because then the ASEAN Championship isn't in a, a FIFA window. So a second string Malaysia team performed pretty well in, in their, their two victories, uh, very well, particularly against Myanmar, which they won 1-0 and then a comfortable victory over Laos 5-5-0. So, but the second 11, um, they lost in Vietnam and they've got this big match against Singapore. This ASEAN Championship, Cam, I know you don't follow it. I know many English speakers um, in Kuala Lumpur don't follow it, but it is huge. It is huge in this part of the world. And there's a, a huge outcry about um, the behaviour of John Van Hal in the Vietnam game the other day. So look out for Malaysia, um, Singapore early in the new year because it will be one of the early highlights. Oh, the shame. Scouser telling me that, <laughs> that I should... <laughs> Oh dear! It's not the first time I've said that, Cam. Not the yeah. first time. No, no. Um, hey, uh, Des, I don't quite understand. So, off the pitch incident could lead to a 
penalty? I mean, yes. How often- so because the ball was still in play, the rules of the game or the laws of the game say that if there is an instance off the pitch, then a free kick is awarded at the place closest to where the um, to the byline or to, to to the pitch. And because the instance happened behind the goal line inside the penalty area, the end result is a penalty. So the incident was a, a kind of a, a melee. Van Dorn had, had barged as we into the advertising hoardings, as we seemed to be just trying to get up. Uh, Van Hal dived and covered his face as though he'd been assaulted when he'd also done an assault earlier on in the game and got away with it. Referee and assistant referee interpreted that it was um, the Malaysian player who was at fault, sent uh, the Malaysian player off and gave a penalty. So all within the laws, he was dead right, apart from the fact he got the initial decision wrong. Although I did see a clip from, I think it's uh, 2019, where a Vietnam player went down. Same ref. Same ref. Same referee. And that Vietnam player was absolutely not touched by anybody. Well, he was, you know. Brendan Gang got the merest of touches on him in that game in Dubai. Like five minutes earlier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's, okay. it's hard. But it, uh, this Asian Championship's been great. And Malaysia's second string have done really, really well. And the coach, uh, Kim Pangon, the hat's off to him. He's playing attacking, abrasive, high-octane football. Faisal Halim's been a bit of a superstar. And um, Malaysian football is, is re-energised coming into the new season. I even hear PJ City in the league could well be coming back in as well. So there's so many good stories to, to talk about in Malaysian football. Well, have, they, have they found a buyer, PJ City? I, I, I'm, I'm, that's what my sources say. Mate, you got to break it here first, man. I can't. I can't officially break it. It's a might, <laughs> I'm afraid. Sorry, Cam. Mm, okay. Cam's uh, just trying to figure out who BGC is. Right? I have no idea what you're talking <laughs> about. <laughs> so, uh, you got to break anything you want. So, uh, well, that brings us to the end of this week's show. Me and me and Bob scratching our heads as you were talking there. So, I'd like to thank uh, on our return to uh, actual football after that. What was it called? World Cup. I'd like to thank Bob Holmes. Thanks, everybody. <clears throat> Excuse me. Bit throaty after my monologues. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd like to thank Gogolin. King is dead. Long live the king. Yes, yes. And I'd like to thank Des Corkhill. And I'd wish to everyone a happy new year. Enjoy your football in 2023. 2022 has been interesting, but what a sad way to end. Uh, God rest your soul, Pele. What a life. What a life. Yeah. Happy Do, New Year, folks. Yeah, absolutely. Happy New Year. And check out some of those Pele reels on YouTube. It really just a magnificent football. So uh, thank you very much. And we'll see you in 2023 here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. For more football, tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8pm. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.